Ready. Hey. Just in the middle of the field, 45, 50. Greengrass in front of him, leaving Lions in his way. I am Jeff Joniak. Blitz is on. Down he goes. Brisker. What was it like playing for Coach Dicka? Uh, I don't want to answer any questions like that. 61 yards. Ooh. A Sunday stroll for Justin Fields. Now, Bears, etc. with the voices of the Chicago Bears, Jeff Joniak and Tom Fitton. Welcome back this week to Bears, etc. episode number 38 with Super Bowl winning Bears guard Tom Thayer. I'm Jeff Joniak. Coming up on the show, we got an extended conversation with former Bears quarterback and the franchise record holder in season passing yardage and touchdowns in a single season, Eric Kramer, a good friend of ours. He's written a book called The Ultimate Comeback. Surviving a Suicide Attempt, Conquering Depression, Living with a Purpose. It's a riveting conversation, not an easy conversation. As long as we've known Eric Tom, he has been an easygoing guy, and he's not afraid to give his thoughts on all things, football, life, and, and whatever, the pursuit of happiness. It, it seems like he's found his wheelhouse right now. He's doing a lot of good. This book is therapeutic for him, for his personal struggles, uh, not only with his own life, but with his son losing his life. He's been through a ton, but the fact is, there's some good stuff in here that you're going to take with you. No question about it. Yeah, listen, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Eric Kramer, the football player that I knew when he played for the Bears in his perseverance to become an NFL player. But now after having a conversation about some of the struggles that he faced, I have more respect for him. I can't wait to read his book. And um, I, I think um, it should be recommended reading for a lot of people because could not only possibly help themselves, but maybe it'll help that person help other people. For all your journeys ahead, go with a partner who's been on your team from the beginning, the one members and communities have trusted for over 85 years. Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Illinois, always standing by you, with you, uh, through it all. Jeff and Tom here, uh, the Bears are in the bye week. So one of the interesting things that Matt Eberflus said at the podium on uh, Tuesday after the Bears win in Minnesota was that all the players had to meet with the physical training department, all that sports science, before they left. You had to do it, so they want them to stay healthy during this time away. It, it is one week, but things can unravel in a hurry. You can gain weight, you can get out of shape in a, in a moment's notice. I thought that was a pretty cool thing. Uh, but players are smart these days. They know what they have to do. But do you see benefits in that? Listen, um, I, there's a guy that I refer to a lot about health when I have a question. It's always Clyde Emmerich. And Clyde Emmerich always used to have a saying, it takes you two days to get out of shape and two weeks to get in shape. Mm. So when you think about a period of time that you have off and there's a lot of these guys that they don't, you know, get on a treadmill, get on a stationary bike, do something to keep um, on their feet a little bit. I'm not asking you to go out and run miles and that type of stuff. However, you can't let the sport get away from you in that period of time. And unfortunately, sometimes it can mentally and physically. So the Bears have hit the bye week here after 12 games. Uh, we were going to do this exercise of, you know, who, who's looked good, offense, defense, special teams, and kind of do a uh, – player of the year type of thing so far, even though there's five games left. And the team has rallied to win four of their last eight. They are four and eight. It's not the record they certainly wanted, nor what maybe some people expected even inside and outside the building. Uh, but that's the status. That's where they are. They've overcome a bunch of injuries. Uh, nothing really season-ending across the board, but the offensive line has been a, uh, a real you know, musical chairs, uh, even within games. And that, that has been something that I really impressed with. I saw Chris Morgan in the, in the cafeteria this week before the bye week uh, kicked in, and I said, man, I mean, you've worked wonders here trying to get these guys to all play together when you want to have the same five start every snap and play every snap. It just doesn't happen anymore in the NFL. He goes, we got a lot more work to do. <laughs> I mean, and that's always the case with offensive line. But are you impressed with what that unit has done despite some bumps along the way, uh, and managed to cobble what has become a pretty impressive line at key areas up front. Oh, I am. You know, I'm impressed with Chris Morgan with being able to move guys and shuffle guys in and out of the lineup in different positions and still have a solid performing offensive line that started out pretty slowly. You know, to me, I think um, one of the guys that needed to impress me the most throughout the season was going to be Tevin Jenkins even though they just have newly drafted Darnell what Darnell Wright. Because Tevin, he's played a couple different positions. He had the injury issue at the end of training camp. 
But Tevin had to come in and play like a high-profile offensive lineman no matter where they were going to finally settle on what position he's going to play. Now it looks like he could have a career at offensive guard and he could be one of the better offensive guards in the division and have a really bright future ahead of him. I'm not dismissing Nate Davis. It's just that Nate Davis was an established veteran at the position, so you knew a little bit more about him. So Tevin has continued to impress me, and I hope he's the type of guy that can stay in that role for the next 10 years. Darnell Wright, we, we touched on in our last podcast, talked about we don't talk about him enough this season. You can look at the fact that, okay, he's had some penalties, which which rookies do, giving up, uh, according to Stats Inc., seven and a half sacks this season. But we, we see a lot of bright spots with Darnell Wright against some really impressive defensive edge rushers that the Bears have had to face, not the least of which is Daniil Hunter twice, Carl Granderson from New Orleans, Cam Jordan, uh, had a deal with the, the folks up in Detroit and Aiden Hutchinson, and we'll see him again coming out of the bye week. Really good pass rushers, over the, Max Crosby, over the course of the season. I think, and, and we can't discount the run blocking as well because he's super physical and big and nasty. He's a finisher. I think it's been a really good season for Darnell Wright. Well, you know, the best thing about Darnell Wright is there are no limitations to the future of his game. You can't sit there and say, okay, we can only run behind him if he has a double-team opportunity. Or if he's got a one-on-one matchup against a difficult pass rusher, we have to have a guy lined up next to him. No. If you run a run an outside sweep and feature him as the pulling tackle, you can do that. If you want to run a lateral screen that he has to get 12 to 15 yards into position to make the block, you can do that. If you want to put him one-on-one in a difficult environment like Detroit, to face a premier pass rusher like Hutchinson, you can do that. So it's about building upon everything that he offers you, and you're not limiting your offense because he has a deficiency, which he really doesn't. Bears fans, you can be there for live NFL action all season long as the official ticket marketplace of the Bears in the NFL. Ticketmaster has a wide selection of tickets available for every game. Find tickets today at Ticketmaster.com slash Bears. Who would be your offensive player of the year so far through 12? Uh, you know, DJ Moore. Bingo. I, you know, it's hard to ignore him. Um, I think he's done a lot um, for the quarterback position. He's done a lot from the offense. He's had nationally televised games that were as, as impressive as anybody else in the league. He's a super difficult tackle. He's another guy that you can throw him the ball downfield and he can make difficult catches. You can throw him the ball at the line of scrimmage and he can break tackles. I think he's a super positive influence in the locker room, which is sometimes as equally as important as the way you perform on the field. He's an outstanding teammate, first and foremost. Everything they said about him is true. He's absolutely been uh, the star player and, and certainly deserving of of all the accolades he's going to get, he's going to have a great, he's already over a thousand yards. He has a chance to put up some really significant numbers here offensively in Bears history for a single season. This was a note from Chase Daniel. He's doing a lot of quarterback analysis. So I got to touch on Justin because he, his last 17 games of which the, you know, the offensive line has had a lot of changes. Uh, DJ Moore was only available. This is dating back to last season, of course, or just 12 of those games in that stretch. He's, he's thrown and rushed for almost 4,000 yards. Uh, eight rushing touchdowns, 25 passing touchdowns, 12 interceptions. So a combined 33 touchdowns. So if you put it in that context, he, he's put together some impressive numbers. Obviously, the wins haven't been there collectively as a team. Uh, but how do you analyze that? Because we know his threat of run is one of his, his biggest superpowers. But we also know his deep ball also is a superpower if he's given the time and if he can see the field to make the play. What is your overall analysis of this? So to me, a quarterback position, no matter if you have the dynamic athleticism of Justin or you have the arm arm talent of Patrick Mahomes and some of the other guys around the league, Josh Allen, it's more to me evaluating when you call a play and you get to your final drop step, what do you do? Are you locating the target according to the play called in the huddle and the coverage you're seeing? Or are you pulling the ball down and trying to buy extra time to create that big play? So I still think Justin is a young, developing quarterback. So to me, it's always going to be, what do you do when you call a pass that has a certain drop to it? And what do you do in the timing of, of the ball, of the pass? And so, you know, that, that will be the way I kind of see the development of Justin, but it's hard to deny 
that he has all the traits that any offensive coordinator would love to have in their quarterback. Miller Lite, the official beer of the Chicago Bears. Tastes like Miller time. Chicago coming up in moments. Eric Kramer, the author of a new book, The Ultimate Comeback. Uh, defensively, who's your player of the year? It, it's hard to deny what uh, TJ Edwards has been, he's done. So the Bears have played 12 games. He's been in number one or number two in tackles in 10 out of those 12 games. When you look at the numbers and what he's been able to put together, it's it, TJ is. But, you know, when you look at where Tremaine Edmonds is, I think the linebacker position as a whole is really developing into one of the strengths of this whole team overall. Right, I can't I can't go anywhere else either. I mean, I'm going to give a, I'm going to give Jalen Johnson. He's having his best year as a Bear. Uh, he is limiting the amount of catch rate uh, as as high as any in the league. Now starting to take the ball away, getting near the ball, and uh, just got to keep making those interceptions. And uh, I know those are are haunting him as well. How about special teams? Got to go, Cairo, right? Oh, I mean, of, of course. I mean, the guy is money, and he kicks into some difficult situations. Um, again, I uh, we talked about it the other day that as the weather deteriorates in this last half of the season, I still think that with the premier field conditions they now have at Soldier Field, I think he's going to have an opportunity to have an incredible, successful season. Steinhoffels is an employee-owned furniture and mattress store. Visit any of their four Chicagoland locations in Vernon Hills, Crystal Lake, Downers Grove, and Harwood Heights, or shop online at steinhoffels.com. When we come back after the bye, five games left, all outdoors, three at Soldier Field, two on the road, one uh, you're going to have to go over to Cleveland to take on Miles Garrett and that number one ranked defense in the NFL and then finish off against Green Bay, which I think will be an emotional game on uh, mid-January at Lambeau uh, in, in cold temperatures, I'm sure. Who knows? We might have some weather for that one. You never know what's going to happen, right? There's five games to go. If you shorten it all up and give these guys some sort of carrot that, you know, beyond your own professionalism of showing up and giving full effort every single day for the rest of the season and playing those games and don't have your car running and the golf clubs in the back ready to go, you could make some magic. It could happen. There's nothing saying it can't. How, how do you look at this? Because I, I'm choosing that approach for the final five games after you've split the last eight and weathered some serious storms injury-wise, the loss of your starting quarterback, and just the inability to finish games for the most part until you did it against Minnesota by way of a 30-yard field goal uh, by Cairo Santos. Well, we're in the midst of an El Nino winter, so there's no guarantee the outside environment <laughs> is going to be as hostile as we've seen it in the past. So maybe we'll get a stretch of some nice weather. But when you look at how young some of the key components of this team are, you don't have a chance to finish on a, uh, with your arrow pointed down. And it's like Coach Stanfeld, my offensive line coach, says, look, as long as your arrow's pointed up, you're going to get coached. If your arrow starts pointing down, you got to look to be replaced. So I think that should be incredible incentive for all of these young guys on this football team because there's not a player in my mind right now that I said, oh, my God, this guy needs to be replaced immediately. So I think that needs to be the attitude that's inside that locker room about fi finish this Finishing the season on a high note. Yep. Uh, Matty Bruflus giving everybody painted footballs with the word finish on it because that was their goal all week. They finally made that goal a, ha a reality against Minnesota, and it should be a theme for the rest of the season. Take a chance. Download the Bet Rivers app today. As promised, our lengthy interview with former Bears quarterback Eric Kramer, the ultimate comeback, his book, it's riveting. Eric Kramer, our guest here on Bears, etc. He's got a book out called The Ultimate Comeback, Surviving a Suicide Attempt, Conquering Depression, Living with a Purpose. There's so much there. Uh, and without having read the book just yet, but talking to people who have scanned it, it, it could be the precursor to a movie. Your life has been an unbelievable roller coaster ride. Thank God and for us who love you, that uh, it's way up on the high tracks right now. So, I don't even know where to begin, but let's begin the fact that you were a football player coming out of California uh, looking for an opportunity, and you had to go the long way. You got to, you had to go the hard way, didn't you? <laughs> More than once, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so, um, but, you know, like, like it's often mentioned, uh, you know, through adversity, you can't really achieve and become who as a person you want to become as you look backwards, you have to go through adversity. Like 
the people that are born into perfectness, which there isn't any, but the pers- the people that are born in the front of the line and ha- and don't encounter adversity early, will encounter it later and then won't know how to handle it. People like people like me, who's every every guy in the world, uh, encounters it all the time, and so it becomes part of life, really, and which is fine because that kind of helps hone who you are, not only in what you do, but as a person. Pierce College, I never even heard of it, JC. Then at NC State because they looked good in basketball. You just, hey, I'm going to throw my hat into that ring. Uh, Then as a senior, the ACC Player of the Year, a Hail Mary to beat South Carolina, and you're now ranked 15th in the nation, and you go undrafted. Did you think you were going to get drafted? The Saints signed you, then you wound up with the Falcons, and then off to the CFL before you even got to the NFL. Right. So, uh, no, I did not think I would get drafted. It was funny, though, that because the draft back then wasn't what it is today. Uh, it was not on ESPN. Um, and so I basically, and it was all done, I believe, in one day. I remember late that day or whenever it ended, and so they had 12 rounds back then. I got a call from Ray Perkins saying, we're thinking of drafting you or – the quarterback that just played for him at Alabama, Mike Shula. And so they, they took Mike. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, I, I ended up getting a free agent tryout with New Orleans, which the day I got there, I knew I was going to get cut because back then they, there was no such thing as a practice squad. And uh, they had two guys, so Bobby Abair and Dave Wilson. So um, um, in any event, uh, yeah, I, so I was back in school and – Probably, you know, I was going to graduate and I was helping out with the football team and I get a couple phone calls to go play in a strike. And uh, so I did and ended up going to Atlanta, um, played in three games, didn't play all that well in the first couple, played well in the second one, uh, the third one, I mean, and they ended up keeping me. And then you're right. The next year I got cut, ended up uh, going to Calgary because back then (laughs) that was the only team. When I say team, one guy, the head coach there, Larry Kerrick, was the brother of Bill Kerrick, New Orleans Saints personnel director. So anyway, yeah, I went up there and played uh, in their last six games. I remember getting there on like a, I don't know, Wednesday or something, met with Larry, and he hands me a playbook, and he says, all right, if you have any questions, come back tomorrow. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I go back to the hotel with a you know, six-inch playbook. I was very average to below average up there. The end of that first year, along with the second year, was the only contract I had. Prior to that season in 19, what would have been 1988, uh, 1989, um, we have an inner squad scrimmage, and that same head coach decided to make it a live on the quarterback scrimmage. So up there in wow. Canada, in the CFL, you get to have X amount of American players, which I want to say is six or seven. But if you have, uh, it could be an American guy that has a parent who was born in Canada. So we had our left tackle had never played left, never played offensive line before in his life. He was, I don't even remember his name. He was a tight end that, that played at Oklahoma State. I want to say the third play or fourth play, um, I'm dropping back. And I throw a pass, and Stu Laird, who's Canadian, great guy, there's no way Stu would have tackled me. No way. Because the ball was gone. As he's going by, this guy, this left tackle, he clips him from behind, catapulting Stu into my left knee. Torn PCL, done for the year. Yeah, it, it, it took me basically calling all the NFL teams. Detroit's the only one who gave me a callback. When you look at your life and you think about going to New Orleans and thinking, okay, I'm not going to make this team – when you look at all the events that have taken place in your life, both good and bad, do you see a lot of things in your life in hindsight now that maybe you avoided or you're, you didn't consider it reality, even, you know, something like the trying out for a quarterback in New Orleans? Mm-hmm. Do you have hindsight that you see a lot of the events that have taken place? Yeah, in a good way. You know, kind of like a lot of people will look back on their lives and say, you know what, despite this, despite that, I wouldn't change a thing. Well, that guy's me. Yeah, I think a lot of that goes into helping you. It helps. It helped me to spur me on 
to study and be prepared. And I wasn't born, I didn't fall out of the bed being Barry Sanders. I fell out of the bed being me. As you, as you look at me physically, that's just not, I'm not a guy that you're going to choose to go, oh, yeah, that's the guy we're going to lead our team. And so he kind of takes a little, you know, battle through adversity, which is what pretty much life is, battle through a football season to get better, which is what life is. Yeah, I, I think in, in hindsight now, I'm very grateful for the path that I ended up going down. Okay, question about depression then. Because I think it's super helpful, the story that you're telling, because it's a story that needs to be told to so many people out there. When you face a thing like depression, do you avoid early signs of depression and think, oh, I'll get over these? Or do you kind of think, um, I have signs of it, but I, I'm ignoring them? There's no way to ignore it. So it's kind of like it envelops you, kind of like... Uh, maybe quicksand wood or sort of a cloud wood. There's nothing to fight against. Kind of enveloped your spirit and your thoughts and your perspective all at the same time. And I remember in the first time it happened ever was in 1994 when I was in Chicago. And I went from, wow, somebody wants me to play for them to getting injured I think I came back and played one game after that and then wasn't. And so now that train just left and I'm still on the platform. I remember not wanting to get out of bed in the morning and couldn't, but yet had to. I didn't want to make eye contact with people because that would invite a conversation. There's just no light wherever you are. It, it travels wherever you travel. In a case like that, that was the first time I would I had ever anyone had even suggested to me uh, there's these things called antidepression medication. I can't remember what it was, but I tried it. Like antidepressant medication doesn't work like an aspirin. It works 30, 45 days from the time you start taking it. And so it takes a while. And when it does, it's great because now it's kind of like an elevator that goes below the b below uh, ground, right? So depression is your below ground. Antidepression medication and therapy gets you up to where you're back on ground level. What I noticed over time is that it kind of caps you off. Like say your building, your normal building, there's 30 floors on it. Antidepression medication taps you out at about the fifth floor. And so it's not, to me, something that you want to live on for the rest of your life. Therapy, a close-knit group of a couple, two, three, four friends that might have a little perspective, maybe a little bit older than you, and are good, you know, kind of, uh, what would you say, empathetic and curious listeners. And, uh, you know, just that to me is the, the mode for once you have it, that's what you do with it. All right, let me fill in the blanks for our listeners. Eric Kramer, our guest, the former Bears quarterback who uh, started with the Detroit Lions as well. Uh, we left off at the Calgary Stampeders, but in Detroit in 91, a spot starter through 93, the last playoff win for the, the Detroit Lions on the arm of Eric Kramer and the feet of Barry Sanders and the protection of Alomas Brown and all those guys. Um, unbelievable story there. That team 12 and four, uh, and you beat the Dallas Cowboys before losing in the NFC title game to Washington. Rodney Pete, the man you mentioned earlier was the starter. He went down in week nine, you beat out Andre Ware for the backup job. That's also the season. Mike Utley, uh, as we all remember the thumbs up paralyzed from the chest down and a spinal injury against the Rams. Uh, your nickname in Detroit was Brass. Uh, we got to keep it clean on here, but Brass, you can add the next uh, next word to that, but he called it an audible, Tommy, on his first series as a Lions quarterback after replacing Pete. And he was Cosmo because of the character Cosmo Kramer from Seinfeld. Uh, and then the Bears signed you in 94. You mentioned the 94, so you have five starts and Dave Wanstead's second year as head coach. They also had Steve Walsh on the roster added from the Saints that year. Andy Heck was your left tackle. Marv mm -hmm. Cook came aboard. Jim Harbaugh left for the Colts. Denton McMichael moved on. Depression hit in 94. You couldn't get yeah. out of bed. 
you're a Chicago Bear, and then in 95, you tear it up. First full season as a starter, 16 games, 3,838 yards, 29 touchdowns. Both remain Bears records, believe it or not, at the quarterback position. Then how the hell did you do it? Kind of like what I was talking about before is it, you know, I came from an offense in in Detroit. Uh, when I first got there, it was Mouse Davis was the offensive coordinator and we were running the run and shoot. By the time I left, we had, um, we would play with a tight end most times and um, occasionally, trying to think, yeah, a tight end occasionally, but not a fullback. The pass protections were vastly different. And I think it just took some time to figure out because there's a lot to think about. I think one of the things that helped, I went back and there was a guy named Kevin Wildenhouse uh, who was a marriage and family therapist in Detroit. I got in touch with him. We eventually started working on ways I could. This is in 1990 when I wasn't even practicing. I was practicing. I I was on injury reserve. And back then, if you go on injury reserve, you're there for the year. I'm talking about practice. I was having a hard time slowing my brain down to do what I was Hmm. wanting to do. So we started working together and he got me through a a way of like mindfulness training, which would be like, you know, breathing and and like where you're painting a, he is painting a word picture of where I'm at, you know, like a calm setting. And then you can start to see things in a slowed down fashion before they ever happen. And that's what I went back to. Uh, and this is back in the cassette days. So if I didn't fly Kevin out, he would you know, make these cassettes and talk into them. And the night before the game, in my hotel room, I'd be stretching to that. Hmm. You know, I always worked out a lot and watched film a lot. and But this had a way of kind of I guess you would call it like the glove that all the fingers now fit into that pulled it all together. Did did the Bears, did the coaching staff, did they know you were suffering from depression? No, I, I would I would guess not because it wasn't something that I would, you know, there was no team psychologist, so to speak, right, mm-hmm. the, back then. And that's not something I would have felt at that time comfortable going in really to anybody on earth. Um, and other than, um, I'm trying to think, yeah. Uh, so I was married at the time and Marshawn knew I was, uh, depressed. Um, but that was it. Did, did you ever have a game in that 95 season, for example, that you didn't think you were going to make it to the ballpark? No, no. In the 95 season, I wasn't depressed at all. I did oh, okay, so okay. during the season. Okay. So okay. It was every day there for a while. Well, I didn't want to go okay, anywhere. Okay. Out of bed meant getting somewhere, and I didn't want to go wherever it was. And so whether that was practice, game, whatever, um, it was that feeling that I had come to the Bears for the first time, and prior to the season, they said, you know, we want you to be the guy. So when I came out of Pierce College, um, that was – I only went there because it was the junior college down the street. And (laughs) – we ended up being ranked number one in the country. At that time, Ron Turner was the quarterback coach at Pitt. So he had recruited me then. But they had a guy named coming back named John Jimmy, who had started and played as a junior. Well, he still had one more year to go. And so here we are 10 years later, and, you know, Ron's part of the, the staff that's getting me to Chicago. And I just, with anybody, I don't think I would have felt comfortable sitting down in a chair mm. other than – you know, a therapist or mm. at that time, my wife, but you can't hide it from the people you live with. Right. So, yeah. um, uh, but outside the door, it just wasn't something I was very comfortable with at all. You know, it wasn't like today where it's sort of like mental health, the word mental and health kind of never did go together back then. And uh, I mean, I knew it was what was going on, but it didn't mean I had the perspective on knowing what to do to get rid of it. Eric, when you talk about you don't get drafted, you go to junior college, you go to the Canadian league, you go to the strike season and all these things. What was your ignition switch for Eric Kramer to make Eric Kramer believe that he could play and succeed as a quarterback in the highest level of the sport that's offered? Well, 
I think going back as a kid, um, my dad, uh, despite all signs from anyone else, despite what everyone what else didn't think, he he believed in me. And I'm not saying he did that in the best positive way. So I just, you know, I did have success. It just wasn't sustained. I, I, I felt like if you work hard enough, and I love doing it, I love working hard anyway, that eventually something's going to click. And honestly, in when I was after NC State, and after getting cut by New Orleans, that was it for me. There was no USFL or World League or NFL Europe or anything like that. And so, yeah, I was done. And it was only because of the strike that uh, I continued. And then, but eventually that ended. And so it was only the CFL that was available. And then what happened, the only thing that happened there was that, you know, as one last ditch effort, I called all the NFL teams and, and that was it. So had no one called me back, there's nothing else to do. So I thought well, I was going to go coach high school. <laughs> we're with Eric Kramer here on bears, et cetera. He's written a book, the ultimate comeback, surviving a suicide attempt, conquering depression, living with a purpose. All right. So there's a lot there. Uh, clearly you held it in for a long time and now you've laid out your life in 233 pages for the public to consume and the overreaching message about those who are dealing with gripping depression. But along the way, all these tragedies and an attempt on your own life. Yeah. Uh, how do you put it all into context uh, and how therapeutic and or difficult was it to allow to be put out there in print after you did it and then looked at it with the help of an author as well, yeah. William Croyle? Interestingly, Bill Keenest, who... Yep. When I was with the Lions, he was their media relations director. Great guy. And Bill just retired last year. So I, I kept in contact with Bill over the years, kind of kept him informed of what was going on. He contacted a friend of his named Dan Wetzel, who writes for the Yahoo Sports. Dan Wetzel writes a, a nice article where actually at the time, a friend of mine, Anna, who is uh, now my girlfriend, we went to high school together. He contacted her somehow saying, hey, would Eric be interested in collaborating on our book together? You know, I didn't, I've never heard of William Croyle, and he goes by Bill. And, and so we started talking a little bit. And what he'd done is he, he took that article and researched me backward. Then I said, you know, I, I said, hey, is there a book you've written that I, and I think Bill's written maybe, I don't know, 11 or 12 books or something. Uh, and he says, well, here, he wrote one on, it's called Angel in the Rubble, and it's a, it's about the last survivor of the 9-11 attacks. So, I mean, it didn't take long to figure out he knew what he was doing. Anyway, yeah, we started collaborating on this, and um, over the course of maybe hmm, a couple years, um, yeah, now, now, now you're, you see what you get. And I think it's a very well- uh, spelled out um, book on it's got a little something in there for everybody. As I mentioned, my my parents, both of them, I, I had kind of difficult relationships with through most of life for different reasons. But I also came to later in life accept them not only for who they are, but because everybody's childhood plays some significant role in who they become later. Not either, not that, he, well, my dad had a childhood nobody would want. And my mom came from a, from a little different background in any event. So there's some of that in there. There's the relationships that I have and had with my kids. And there's some football sprinkled in there too. And as you mentioned, depression and how to, you know, not only deal with it and get through it, um, but give it gives perspective to people who have it because typically – those who have it battle with it by themselves. And people that watch it happen to others don't have their perspective. And so I think it, it's both for the people that have it and the people that are near someone who has it, which is a vast majority of the population. And um, at whatever age it comes, someone's going to get it and someone close to them is going to have it. 
anyway, that's not the whole book is not that. Uh, there's there's some you know lightheartedness to it as well. That book, there's a lot in there in those whatever you mentioned, two hundred and thirty few pages. Uh, there's a lot in there, and I've gotten calls from friends of mine who I've known for a long, long time. Literally yesterday morning, and they're fessing up uh, a little bit. Not fessing up, but people that have said, you know, Eric, you and I have counts, uh, kind of counseled each other through the years. Mm. I had no idea this also was going on. Mm. In, in, I mean that in a good way. And so, yeah, I, I just think it's a, it's a powerful book in, a, in, in not too many pages. I, I'm, I, and that's my hope, that it be impactful. Eric, until we get a chance to have enough time to sit down and read the whole book, would, is there one chapter that you would say, look, this is a must chapter that if you only have a little bit of time, read this chapter. And then when you get time, read the book. That's a good question. And I wish I had one right at the top of my head. There, there was a woman who wrote it. That's a friend of Bill Croyle's. And she was like the master. She was like the Siskel and Ebert of book reviewers, even though she's not paid for as one. She's done a lot of reading in her life. She mentioned uh, several chapters, but I think chapter 13 in particular, and I don't even know what it's about, but I just know that it was impactful to her in a way that, you know, she mentioned that nobody's really, the good, the good part to her was that nobody is singled out in terms of, I have no vendetta against anybody. I have, um, uh, I think for her, she knows nothing about football, not zero. And yet it, uh, it was impactful to her in ways that, um, you know, we're just sort of more about life. And uh, I, I wish I could answer your question, Tom, more yeah. specifically with like, here's the chapter, but uh, I, I can't. Well, I mean, as soon as I open the index, I would read the list of chapters. And if there is a title of a chapter that kind of captures my attention in a few words, you know, maybe that would. But I was just thinking, you know, if there was a must, uh, you know, a go to chapter. You know why, um, Eric? He's got a short attention span. So <laughs> okay. Well, I'll just say this. Uh, so I, I, I when my, my suicide attempt happened on uh August 18, 2015. I had taken some time leading up to that day of kind of choreographing or planning this out. One of the things I did was I wrote seven or eight letters to people in my life, one of which was my son, Dylan, who at the time was about to be a junior in high school. The first chapter, that letter is not in full, but in parts laid out. The last chapter is also a letter I wrote to Dylan years later. So this book, in my opinion, is a long letter to Dylan, meaning that when Griffin passed away at age 18, Dylan was 13 in an eighth grade. I remember the chair he was sitting in when I told him. It was like watching a glass vase crap you know, explode into a thousand pieces. Um, and over time, he's lost now both sets of grandparents. Um, he has his dad on purpose tried to leave this earth um, and eventually didn't go to school right away out of high school, didn't go to college. Eventually he did. So his dream was to play baseball and that's what got him going to college here. Just recently he graduated from college, but his, his, uh, baseball world came to a halt and his girlfriend who he'd been with since he was a junior in high school broke up with him. So he's had a tough road, man. And so I felt like this was a way to honor not only Griffin, but Dylan too. And that's why I did this. At the end of the day, it, I think, helps 
not only people, but Dylan in particular. You know, I think as he gets older, he's 25 now. This is something he can go back and refer to as he gets older in life. If you if you boil it down to one reason, that's why. That's the reason I wrote this. Eric, uh, final final moments here. And this is such a difficult conversation, but I don't know how you do it uh, with a smile on your face, which we are blessed to see. Is it also heighten your awareness then of others that are dealing with stuff that you come privy to, or you even wonder about because you know your own son Dylan here? Oh yeah, uh, at, at guardrails, so to speak. For sure. Yeah. And so there's a, you know, it wasn't that long ago, maybe two weeks ago at the most, where I was in Chicago, someone had asked me to come speak at their company. Um, it's called Lactalis. It's a, it's a nation's largest dairy company. And the guy who asked me to come, I've, I've been on his Baird podcast <laughs> called uh, Just Another Year. And Nick asked me to come out there. And so uh, in addition to the 100 people or so in the room, I was talking to everybody that worked for Lactalis across the country. They they ordered, I guess, a, a lot more books after that. And one woman in particular who came up to me afterwards, she said, you know, my um, mother passed away a few years ago and my sister committed suicide about 10 months later. And I said, yeah, I said, what, what people like your sister and me at the time you lose perspective on what this is going to do to other people. Because for you, those that commit suicide, it is over. Those around you, that is day one for them to deal with what just happened. Yes, I do have a, a, a good sense for this is a growing issue. It's not like it's never been there before, but it's a growing awareness right now. And so that's, in addition, there's a, um, a program that I've helped put together. It's not off the ground just yet, but it's called Mental Health Touchdown. And it's going to start out as a couple of after-school after programs, one for, one for fourth and fifth graders, one for sixth graders. So in the area I live, which is Thousand Oaks, um, it's where the Rams practice. And uh, so on uh two middle school campuses there are a boys and girls club on each and in the elementary part they're tied into the, the county as well and there's a woman there uh the woman i've gotten to know over the years uh name's Catherine casimir and she deals with uh her her nonprofit is called bright b-r-i-t-e and i never remember what it stands for but uh she and her, the people that work in her nonprofit work within the school systems within Ventura County and actually go into schools and work with kids on acting out different scenarios that typically right now their funding comes from the county, Ventura County, typically around drug uh, awareness and drug prevention, uh, alcohol prevention. I've partnered up with her. And then there's another gentleman uh, named Tim Thane, who back when Griffin was about, mm, I'd say about 13 years old, he was kind of in between his eighth grade, which is the last year of middle school and ninth grade, his first year of high school. We had Griffin go, and I actually flew him there to a place called Second Nature, it was out in Utah. It's one of these therapeutic wilderness camps for kids. And uh, so he was out there not long enough. And uh, when he, he came home, Tim Thane at that time uh, was the founder of a, uh, and uh, ran a company called uh, Homeward Bound. Homeward Bound was the transition home from where you just came from. And so uh, anyway, so that's, it was a three-day in-home workshop centered around this thing called solution talk, meaning, so Jeff, if you're my son and uh, there's, you know, 99 things that I feel you should be doing, but aren't, I'm going to focus on the one thing you are doing and make that the star because the relationship that you and I have 
is founded on what's good, not what's not good. And so we're going to build it up from there. And so, um, and at the end of those three days, uh, Tim said, okay, now I want you to call around to your friends, neighbors, family, you know, doesn't have to be all of them, but enough. And so he did that. And when they all showed up, um, sat in the living room, Tim gets up, introduces himself, and then kind of what, what he's tried to help mold here. And then Griffin at that time got up and said, hey, this is what this experience has been like for me. And I would like to keep this going. And can you, you, you know, the group, from time to time, check in on me in terms of like, again, he's 13 at the time. Hmm. So, you know, take me to lunch or just a phone call, come over, whatever. So that's the idea of the home team. And, and this program is going to get kids and families, kids especially, learning and acting out. First of all, how do I identify some of the characteristics that you find as an individual you want to aspire, you want to have in your arsenal too. You want to aspire to be that. You get enough of those scenarios acted out, and then now you start to deal with, okay, how do you approach somebody like that to say, hey, I've noticed that when people talk to you, you listen in a way that is attractive to me or whatever. And you start to build this little home team that could be a coach, a parent, a, a student, a friend of yours that might be a couple years older that can kind of serve this little mentorship role. And now you start to, at a young age, which will include your parents, um, start to develop this home team. So now this kind of carries you up through high school eventually. And uh, you're going to have now, once you get out of high school, you're going to have spent the better part of your life cultivating over time that home team. Hopefully you'll be on someone else's. You earn your way on there too. And so that's the idea is that before it ever gets started, you kind of take this proactive approach to um, cutting it off at the pass. Have people to talk to where, you know, typically this happens in an isolated incident or an isolated fashion. You somehow become isolated. Either you do it to yourself or somebody else does it to you. And um, like we've talked about in the early going, challenges are coming, like it or not. And so good things are going to happen. Some not so good things are going to happen. And so the more you can mold this little home team around you and, it, and your challenges are going to change over time, the people on your home team are going to change over time. And you're going to become aware of yourself, your own needs, and just as the nature of life unfolds, that's what happens. It kind of evolves. And so uh, that's that's what's going to happen kind of on that level. Well, as a football player, grit and perseverance are part of the part of the way you make it. And uh, you need that in life, too. And you got all of that and then some. And uh, the crazy thing about it, me covering the team back then, I, I always remembered you just as a smart, witty, funny, easygoing dude with not a care in the world. And it couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, but right. hey, man, glad you're here and uh, you're doing great work and uh, hope things continue to head in the right direction for you and your family. Check it out, The Ultimate Comeback. You can find the book right on Amazon and paperback or an ebook. And where else could you find it? Or do you have any other thoughts on it before we go? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Amazon's the way to go. And um, yeah, hopefully you'll find it there. But I, re I really just want to thank you and Tom for taking the time today and, and exploring this with me, talking a little Bears football. And I, as I said, I think that the light at that tunnel, there's light in that tunnel. It's just not there. The train hasn't hit it just yet, but I don't think it's far away. And uh, and I appreciate your time talking about this book and some of the some of my story that I think is, is going to be helpful to some folks. Yep, therapeutic in many ways. Uh, thank you for sharing. Big Tom, final thought. I can't wait to read it. I know it's a, it's a maybe a difficult book to read because how much respect and love that we have for you, Eric. Um, but I think it's going to introduce us to a portion of your life that we should have known that we didn't know. But I, I appreciate where you're going. Well, thank you guys both. That's that means a lot. And uh, like I said, 
I think this book is going to help some folks and, uh, and that's really why I did it. Appreciate it, brother. All right, Tom, uh, as promised, right? I mean, uh, we could have talked to him for several hours just about, uh, mental health, uh, just about his journey, but, uh, what a, what a, uh, strong human being that he is, uh, to, uh, somehow survive all of that. Well, you know, you know, you can listen to a podcast multiple times. And if someone out there listened to Eric Kramer and they feel that they know someone that could listen to it and benefit from it or in any way, shape or form, I think it's, it's a podcast that you would like to pass along as well, because, you know, it's hard not to deny that you get emotional listening to Eric because the way that we've known him throughout his life and his career, when you think about a man that uh, attempted suicide, that's been able to survive and be stronger after the attempt than the difficulty he was going through before it, I, I think that it's an inspirational story that could, could help uh, you know, young kids to adults out there equally as much. Yeah, it's everything that's happened after that incident uh, in 2018. He remembers the date, certainly, or 20, excuse me, 2015. You're never going to forget that. But as a player, 10 seasons, uh, 83 NFL games, 92 touchdowns and over 15,000 yards. Uh, and he had a great year with the Bears in 1995. He threw for 3,000-plus again in 1997, something we didn't get to ask him about. Uh, we, we laughed about it afterwards. He, he was a youth football player with Adam Carolla, the comedian, and one of the funniest guys around uh, back in California. But did you know he was in an episode of Married with Children? I did not know yes. this. <laughs> yes, I did, did you, know did, did you see the episode of Al Bundy sells, yes. sells his soul in order to lead the Bears to the Super Bowl? I don't think I saw that episode, and now I want to find it. I mean, one of the topics they talk about most in Mary the Children was Al Bundy. I think it was scoring five touchdowns in a high school game. So <laughs> you, you, get, you attract those guys like Kramer. Oh, my gosh. Good news, Chicago. United Airlines is getting brand-new planes with all the bells and whistles, like Bluetooth connectivity, screens at every seat, and room for everyone's roller bag. United, proud to fly the Chicago Bears and you, too. Tom, enjoy the rest of your time. We'll talk to you next week as we get to preview a second go-around with the Detroit Lions, the leaders of the NFC North. Hope you'll join us then. This has been another Bears Etc. podcast. Uh, wherever you get your podcast, be sure to check us out. We'll talk to you next week. Bear down, everybody. <laughs>